Hey everyone, it's Shelby. If you're feeling like you want to spice up your life in the bedroom after listening to this episode with Dominatrix Isabella Sinclair, you should head over to adamandeve.com and use our discount code CANDY for 50% off one item plus 10 free gifts and free shipping. So you feeling like you want to try some bondage, maybe purchase a whip, feeling a little dominant, a little submissive, I don't know. Go over to adamandeve.com and use our discount code CANDY. That's C-A-N-D-Y. Enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Candy Girl. I'm your host, Shelby. And I'm your co-host, Emily. And today we are doing an episode with Mistress Isabella Sinclair, which we're both very excited about. Do you want to introduce yourself? Isabella Sinclair professional dominatrix um, from Los Angeles. You're inside the Ivy Manor. This is so exciting. I'm very, I'm very <laughs> pumped. So we talked to you on Instagram live twice now. We just finished up doing one and then we did one a little bit earlier about how you're dealing with the COVID crisis right now, <laughs> as I know a lot of sex workers are kind of struggling. So um, for this episode, I kind of want to, you know, learn a little bit about how you got into like dominatrix work, how it's molded your life. And then you were also kind of a pioneer of online sex work, correct? Mm -hmm. So I would definitely love to hear about that as well. Okay. (laughs) So I've been in the industry now for 27 years. Um, I started when I moved to New York in the early 90s. I um, was there on a mainstream modeling contract And um, for a side job, I was working for a chiropractor a couple of days a week. And I, the first month I was there, I found a Village Voice and it had an ad in it for a drag night um, at this club called Jackie 60. And it was hosted by a drag queen named Mistress Formica. And she had a a cat suit on and full drag. You know, I came from the South. We didn't see a lot of drag queens or drag shows. So I kind of thought that's what the event was or the party was going to be about, which is drag shows. And it was a fetish night. And I didn't know anything about fetish at all. I didn't even know it was a thing that existed. It wasn't something you saw. Um, I'd never seen the clothing before, nothing. So I went in and I was just kind of blown away. It was like eye candy the whole the whole time I was there and this girl came to the bar next to me and she was cute little pixie blonde and she had on latex and I just said, can I touch that? Which is funny now when people ask me if they can touch my latex, I'm always like, yes, you can. Because I'd never seen it before. I had no idea what it was. Uh, So she said yes and we became friends and, um, a couple of weeks went by. I went to the store where she said she had gotten the latex. Um, I didn't know what she did as a profession. We just met for coffee. And I went into the store and I'm looking around and the owner said, you know, knew that I wasn't probably supposed to be in there or like didn't know what I was looking at or I guess my expression was so like, whoa. So he said, how'd you find out about me? And I said, oh, this girl I met told me about your store. And he goes, oh, I know her. Do you work with her? And I was like, no, where does she work? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I was just curious. 
Um, he knew where she worked. She worked at a dungeon. And he <laughs> just, totally knew. Totally knew. Of course, she's probably one of his best clients, best customers. She was a submissive at a club. So the next time we met, I didn't even know that, that was a thing, you know. Um, the next time we met for coffee, I just straight out asked her, I said, what do you do? And she's like, oh, I don't really like talking about that much. It weirds people out. And I was like, are you a stripper? And she's like, no, 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 not that. I work as a submissive in a club. And my first reaction was like, nightclub. How do you be a submissive in a nightclub? I mean, I'd studied psychology, so that was my, that was my um, focus in college. So I knew the terminology. I just never had it being applied to a real life situation. Um, so I was like, how does that work? How do you be a submissive at a club? And she's like, no, people pay, men pay to come and um, dominate me. And I was like, whoa, 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 what? How? How does this work? And I knew I wasn't submissive. I had been spanked when I was a child by my grandmother and I fucking hated it. So I was just like, no one's ever going to touch me. I knew I wasn't in, into that side and I was already like just naturally dominant with my previous boyfriends. So I was just like, I want to know what these men are doing, what they're thinking. I realize now, like when I was in high school, I watched nine and a half weeks with a bunch of my girlfriends and the majority of them associated with the Kim Basinger role, but I was the Mickey Rourke personality. Like I associated with him. Like I just imagined doing the things he did and make people uncomfortable and seeing how far I could push them and see what they would do for me and all these things. It was completely unaware. But the second it was presented in front of me, I, I knew I had to know more. And, um, so she, a couple of weeks went by and she's like, well, you're really curious about this. I have a client who wants an innocent bystander in the session. Would you want to come in and watch? And I was like, absolutely. Um, I went in, I watched, I laughed the whole time. I joked with him about what a slut and a bitch she was and how to keep her mouth shut. And she doesn't have permission. Of, you know, like I really got into it. It was fun. And, uh, he invited me to come back a couple of weeks later. I got paid the first time and I was like, $80 for an hour. I, I work 80, I work for $80 for a day at the chiropractor. So in early nineties, that was a lot of money to be making in an hour. So already, you know, that was like, whoa, okay. Uh, so he invited me to come back. I did. And when I left the session, um, I guess he had told the woman who ran the place that she should hire me. I was, I was a natural. They had dominance and submissives that worked there. And she offered me a job and I was like, I don't know, you know, like I'm, I'm pursuing this other thing for a reason I moved to New York. I don't know. Um, I gave it some thought. And then I said, all right, I'll work one day. One day a week. I'll try it. I'll see what it's like. The first day I worked, I had seven clients lined up. They told everyone that I was the new girl in town and gave a physical description. I had a very deep Southern accent because I just moved from Alabama, which was also for a New Yorker was like, oh, she's not from around here kind of thing. Um, so I was literally the new girl. And I, my first session by myself was a foot fetish, foot worship session. And I could not believe that somebody was paying to kiss my feet. 
Like it just was mind blowing, but I let him and I enjoyed it. And so I was like, all right, what's next? So I just kind of snowballed. I didn't let them um, show any pictures of me. I didn't let them do any promotion because I didn't want it to ruin my chances, you know, with, um, with modeling and being able to stay in New York. But the first night that I worked, I walked out with $700. Um, and I had the time of my life. So I was like, all right, I'll do this again. So I did it again. And then a week later, I did it again. And then another week later, I was working two days a week. And after about four months, I finally let them place an ad. I quit my job at the chiropractor's office. I had a really bad experience on a casting call where a flamboyantly bitchy gay man told me my thighs were too fat in a very rude way. I mean, like the rudest way. And I was like, you could have just told me you didn't like that I didn't fit. You know, like there could have been so many ways to tell me they weren't going to work with me. I was 115 pounds and I'm 5'8". So there's no way my thighs were fat. Yeah, he just didn't like me. And that was his way of um, getting me out the door. So I, after I did that, after that happened, I was like, fuck these people. So I just decided to keep taking more um, shifts and let the woman promote me. And when she did, I was booked so much that I was like, I'm never doing a cattle call again. So I, I started modeling for fetish photographers and never looked back. So. Wow. Yeah, it snowballed. I never thought, I thought that you, you had an expiration date on how long you could work. Um, I got to 25 and I was like, all right, well, I'm still doing well. I can still keep doing this. And then I got to 29 and I was like, well, I'm almost 30. I can still do this. No problem. At 39, I did a wonderful pistachio commercial a mainstream television commercial, international commercial. And I was like, I'm 39 and I'm still doing this and I'm still like climbing, you know, I'm not, I haven't reached the top yet. So I just, I kept going. I never had a reason to just like, okay, I'm done. My expiration date is here. I gotta, I gotta leave. Um, I never felt that. So I just keep going. Have you seen a big change in demand of demand of services from you as like time has gone by? Like, are there things that people are more into now that they weren't into then? Like, how has that evolved? My sessions have evolved in the sense that people just immediately trust me when they come in. So I can do a heavy, hardcore masochism kind of session with someone without having to develop a rapport with them. Before, you needed to develop a rapport with somebody they needed to be able to trust you. Same thing with sensory deprivation. Now I can have never met someone before and they will let me take them into like a deep sensory thing. And it's just because my reputation is there. People just trust that I'm not going to hurt them, hurt them. I'm going to give them just what they need. So my sessions have evolved over time. I think that the scene as a whole is still kind of the same like there aren't um, things I mean people are more open about it I don't have to like work so hard to try to get someone to like open up about what their interests are thanks to the internet people kind of already know what they're into when they come and see me so it's not like 
I don't know what I want. I just know I want it. And then I have to figure it out, which was fun. But, you know, sometimes you tap into the wrong things. Like, okay, well, you're definitely not into that. Let's try something else. They know they're in it. They just don't know how to explain it. And, you know, everybody's different. Some people have like this idea of a dominatrix as being super high protocol and really strict and rigid. And some people just want me to have fun and like, we'll just do whatever I want. If, if I'm laughing and having fun, they're happy. Um, some people don't want me laughing or smiling at all. So, you know, it's, it's that it comes into that acting part. Like I can be super happy and jovial, but I got to be mean suddenly. I just snap into, I'm like a light switch. I just snap into the stern meekness. In a session, how much of it is improvised versus planned? They create a checklist of the activities that they think they want or that they know they like. I have a session application on my website. And um, it also gives a little place where you can put special interests. So if someone has something specific, that they want incorporated. Like some people have trigger words, slut, cocksucker, bad boy, you know, like something that has triggered from previous things. They already know it works for them. We called that. So that's where they put in those specialty things. But for the most part, there's the thinking that the submissive is always the one in control um, because they get to dictate what happens to them. And I like to take that logic a little further and explain how they're not in control. Um, I get to understand what they want or what they're asking, but it doesn't mean I have to provide it for them. I, if I like it, I'll provide it for them. But um, we play consensually. They tell me what they're into. I match it with what I'm into. And then I plan the whole thing with those aspects in mind if I feel like there's something going on in the session that I don't enjoy I call the session like I've never had to do that before but I would and um, the same thing for them but I've never had anybody call a session and be like nope this isn't working for me you know so it's just kind of that intuition part like knowing a little bit about what someone's into and then taking them on a roller coaster ride you you can't start the roller coaster with the big drop right away you got to like build into it and then have the, the final and then you got to bring them back into a soft landing at the end, which we call aftercare. So I get to engineer the roller coaster. So when you're kind of engineering this experience for them, are there any common trends or common activities that, you know, you tend to go back to? Well, there's always an aspect of, well, not always, but majority of sessions have an aspect of slave training. People want to be, I'm a dominatrix, I slave train. I mean, there's some things that are role play based, but for the most part, there's, there's a huge involvement into slave training, learning how to be a better submissive, learning how to give yourself more, learning how to be vulnerable. Um, so I take people mostly on those journeys, those rides. Uh, not everyone's into pain. Some people will take pain just because I want to give it to them or they think I want to give it to them. Some people uh, want to be forced into buy scenarios, but I would never just do that. I would never just bring another guy in and be like, you're going to do this today. Like they have to express an interest in that, even if they feel like they're having to be forced into it. Things are still 
disgust or I read into it. So would it be like, wow, as someone who's super definitely straight, it sure would be awful if a guy came in to our session. Is it kind of like that? Um, sort of. Um, I usually never suggest those things. I just follow their cues and what they say. And um, we, I might start out with like a cross-dressing scenario or um, put a, a latex finger in their mouth to see if they m- immediately suck it. You know, like little things like that, just like subtleties to like engage them in those kind of activities. And then it would then move into dildos, making them suck dildos. And then eventually introduce the real thing in. You know, I have someone right now who I've been doing this kind of uh, Skype training with. He just admitted to me that a mistress in New York, like 15 years ago, actually made him suck a cock. But I thought I was getting him into it. That's the way he presented it to me. Like he wanted to learn how to be a good cocksucker for me. And then he finally was like, I forgot to mention this to you i'm really sorry but it i've never wanted to do it before until right now she she made me do it and i'm like i know this mistress she's like me she would have never made him do it he just showed an interest then and then probably that desire went dormant for a while and it's resurfaced so i've been so interesting how you're able to find people's deepest desires i can barely decide what I want to eat so men are definitely more tapped into those things than women are like I said women it sometimes takes you until your your 30s to like start like exploring sexuality as a whole it's it's opening up a little more now women are they ha- they're giving themselves permission to explore earlier but yeah it's not our main focus um traditionally so, but men think about it all the time. There's that saying that men think about sex every two seconds, and it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, something I want to talk about. All right, let's talk about slaves. So, back to, you kind of keep mentioning slave training, and I have an idea of what that could be, but could you maybe explain it to me in a little more detail? Like, what do you train them to do? Eye restriction, behavior modifications, simple instructions, um, bending to my will. If you put it in the context of the original forms of slavery, which was a master doing whatever they wanted to another human being, obviously unconsensual, it falls along the same dynamics. They want to do whatever I want to do. They're volunteering themselves as tribute of sort to my desires. So I feel like hitting someone with this, they offer themselves without reservation. It's just a mentality, like a very service mentality, being put in these positions that would make them feel lesser of a human or lesser of a person because they see me as a greater person. So it's like a queen with peasants. The peasants will do anything to make the queen happy. So, you know, along the same genre. So, kind of, I mean, that has to be enjoyable, right? Yeah, it's a lot of power. It's it's fun. It's 
bossy. So it gives me an opportunity to kind of be bossy with it being a consensual kind of bossiness. So I guess like, what's your favorite thing that you make your peasants do for you? It changes. I like watching them in humiliating positions. I think the last session, it's been so long. So sensory deprivation is a huge thing for me when someone will completely surrender themselves, like have absolutely no control over anything. They are mummified. They are without audio, without the ability to speak because they know I enjoy it. And it also benefits them because they have this mental escape. I have some, um, one of my last ones that is just hardcore heavy whipping. He just wants to just surrender his body completely and thank me for it. You know, so I don't, it's, it's different with every person, but I enjoy the experience of letting someone surrender to me, like letting them be who they want to be without, well, safely without them um, feeling like they're something's wrong with them. Man, I kind of want to submit to you right now. I'm going to be honest. Your voice is so soothing. Um, another thing that I've always been curious about that I'm starting to think, I finally found somebody to talk to about this is, do you have any experience with vacuum beds? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had one of the first vacuum beds that was ever made. Um, someone sent it to my production company to test out on camera. There were things that were wrong with it, like you couldn't keep the seal going you had to keep the vacuum running which when you're filming it's that's a loud noise so then they started making them that self-seal that's kind of like those space bags you know you squish all the air out of it and then it self-seals so I started making those and so yeah I was I had one I think my first one was in like 98 or 99. I've been I've been trying to look into possibly it getting one or doing something with it but it's so hard to find experiences about it it kind of feels like it's a very niche area but kind of what you're saying are there similar you know because vacuum beds seem kind of expensive and I feel like there's always that fear of going all in on something uh do you think there are maybe a few things that would you know be a little easier to get into first to see if that's something that would be enjoyable before I purchase an entire latex vacuum bed nothing is going to feel like a vacuum bed it's an experience in itself you can try the feeling of mummification there are like the really thick spandex cocoons like zip up body stockings um those you can get relatively inexpensively with the pretty thick spandex so you can move a little in them but you're still mummified to see if you can handle the helplessness Gas masks are also something else because it's something that will seal close to your face and the person you're playing with can block your air so you get this feeling of helplessness. Um, just trust the person you're playing with, obviously. So I guess, you know, I always thought physically I just kind of want to see what it's like to be a freeze-dried piece of food. That sounds really fun and enjoyable to me, but do people freak out about it psychologically? Um, not really now, you know, because of the internet, people already have an idea that they're into it or they want to try it. I've never had anyone freak out in sensory deprivation like that. The only, the only bad experience I've ever had was at someone in bondage, rope bondage. He was in a position vertical and 
I see this glassy look in his eyes. I built a whole rope harness around him. He was like six foot three. I was lucky that I had one of my um, assistants there that day with me. He was diabetic and had a birthday the night before and that he's treating himself. He already knew he was in there heavy rope bondage, but he passed out while I had him in bondage and I caught it. I caught it seconds before his weight dropped. I saw his eye, I felt the skin and it felt clammy and I stood right in front of him and I was like, are you okay? And he didn't respond. So I knew the next thing was a blackout. He didn't respond because he wasn't seeing me. So I screamed for my assistant and I just grabbed hold of him so that his weight wouldn't pull on the ropes. I'm good with ropes. I didn't have anything around his neck or his head or anything like that. But I had to, he was much bigger than me and I was in thigh high boots. I had to get her to help me hold him up while I cut the rope. His weight dropped on me and I fell back on the concrete floor and he landed on top of me but I protected him and then I just rolled him over onto the concrete floor. And when his body hit the concrete floor, he came to it's scary. It was scary. That was the only bad experience I've ever had with like an extreme kind of bondage situation. And it wasn't even that extreme. It just was one of those like freak situations. I have had a, a mistress who had someone pass out and she couldn't get him conscious and she ended up having to call the paramedics. He didn't die. I've also had friends who've had people die in sessions from heart attacks. That's not completely uncommon. And it was no fault of their own. But you can't, we don't check for people's heart conditions, you know, when they come to see us. And both of the times that the two mistresses um, had, that I know had people die, basically nothing extreme was happening in the session. and. They grabbed and collapsed, both called 911. They, you know, asked a bunch of questions, but they, um, it still happened. But it was, you know, things like that you just can't predict ever. It was just kind of what it was. But those are the only experiences that I've heard that are like that extreme. No one ever liked just freaking out and be like, ah, I can't handle this. And like, they already kind of have an idea what they're into. Yeah, you said earlier, um, a lot of people kind of already know what they're into because of the internet. And so I wanted to move the conversation over there because I know Emily has a few questions about the internet. But I remember when we did our first Instagram live, you said that you were the first dominatrix to do an online session. So I would love to hear more about that, like how you got the idea in the first place. Um, one of my slaves was on the forefront of that technology, uh, basically web technology. Uh, it was before there were search engines. You had to, to find a website, you had to know the code to type in to your DOS prompts. Um, the, the URLs were not names, they were numbers. So we just created a profile for myself. There was Danny's hard drive was one of the first porn ones. Jenna Jameson was also one of the first, but I was the first dominatrix. And it was, I just had this, this slave who was like, we need to get you on here. I didn't know anything about the technology. I had worked on computers when I was in high school. And then I had a, you know, a computer that I did like word documents on 
but never like streaming video or anything like that. And he uh, found the, the right programs and kind of linked it in, but it was very rudimentary compared to what it is now. It was a video, there was no audio. So I had to create a chat window next to the video screen and the video screen refreshed every second. So instead of 32 frames a second, it was me looking like I was a robot, but I was whipping and you could still see the whip swinging and the slave responding, which couldn't hear it. And I, within like the first month, I had 1500 members, people who just found me. And um, because it was such new technology, everyone did it. Everybody was, and I think I charged like $69 for the membership. So I was like banking off of this thing. So I did that. Um, and then as the technology kept improving, I kept upgrading. I at one point had a T1 line coming into my dungeon and was broadcasting 10 hours a day of live sessions. Damn. I would have other mistresses come in and do these live sessions during the time that I was live. So the cameras were always on. So it was almost like a voyeur house, a dungeon voyeur house. I had multiple rooms that they could switch in between to go and do these things. So it was a big business. Um, and then things started becoming more simple. So I, I had help. Techies. Yeah. Geek. So uh, back to your techies. So when you originally went on the internet, was it a slave setting it up? When did you transition or was it a slave setting it up? Yeah, he built, he helped build the website. I did all the photos. I created the text that I wanted to put out there. He did all the technology stuff, every linking everything together, doing all the code. Um, he's still in my life and he's taught me a lot of code, but every once in a while, I'll have to do some HTML. Um, and I can't get something right. It'll be like something stupid, but I'll send him the code and be like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> Why is this not working? Um, and then he'll like highlight what I need to add to it. So yeah, uh, he was the one that basically built everything out of code. And it was before PHP when you could just like insert photo here. So much easier now. Back then it was literally you had to know the code to get the photos lined up and everything. So it was um, a completely different animal. I used a, a thing, a program called Dreamweaver. Which oh, by Adobe, yeah. Yeah, that's how we built my sites. And I went in and edited them through Dreamweaver. So when did you switch from, you know, I guess slave labor to, um, I assume, hiring, a, or did you ever, like, hire to a professional web developer? No, I never had to. My guys um, want to do these things for free. Um, they already know the technology. It's hard to like approach vanilla companies to do anything sex related unless they're into sex related businesses. Then those companies charge you an arm and a leg because they're like, oh, she's going to make so much money off of her. I'm going to really give it to her. So those companies like to charge a premium. So if you've got people who are willing to do it for trade or for free, and they want to. That's the thing about submissives. 
they want to help. They want to help me build my empire. So they volunteer these things. Wait, I just, I kind of love the idea of having like, well, one, the amount of software engineers. So I have recommended to a dominatrix because I'm sorry, I just fucking knew. <laughs> Two, just like having, I don't know, normal, like this army, like this group of, you know, I'm assuming mostly male identifying like people. Oh, I just, I love the idea of a matriarchy. Yeah. It's definitely that. It's, it's, that my name is from Queen Isabella of Spain. That's when I chose that name was with her in mind. Um, when I first started, you know, they told me like, you've got to choose a name. Um, don't make it your real name. You got to choose a, a fake name. And I tried to think of a young tyrant queen and everything was kind of based on the idea of what I had of her. And she was also my, my dad's family. I knew about her mainly because my dad is Cherokee. And, um, so Thanksgiving was always kind of a touchy thing for us. He was like, we don't celebrate that. So it was you know, the way that it went was that Queen Isabella funded Christopher Columbus's voyages to the U S you know, when they discovered U S which later brought the pilgrims, which then later massacred the Indians. Um, so it was this whole chain of command of like, who was the person who did, who triggered all this stuff? She was one of the first. So just learning about her and she was so young um, to be given all of this power. Girl, I was like, I'm going to be Isabella. That's so cool. <laughs> I, I love that story. So when you were, you know, on the internet, you know, literally before anybody else, were you thinking to yourself like, wow, I'm really on the forefront of, I guess, innovation and like, you know, technology. I did. I, um, I was very boastful about it. And now I feel like I have contributed to all of the negative aspects of the internet, which is the social distancing already. Like if people can get this interaction through the internet, they are less likely to come in for sessions. So the actual physical sessions decreased as the internet rose. Um, I could literally knock out seven hours of appointments a day, five days a week if I wanted. When the internet started, I think people were able to satisfy themselves at home better than their one DVD or, or VHS tape that they got tired of jacking off to. Um, so the internet, they have more variety. Sessions went from seven hours a day, I could do 30 or 40 hours a week in sessions to 25 hours a week in sessions to you're lucky. A, a dominatrix is lucky. Now she does 10 hours a week in sessions. It's just decreased that much, I think because of the internet. So is a lot of the money in what you do more in, you know, creating clips or are have sessions always been kind of like, you know, your main thing or Sessions are definitely my main thing. I was lucky that I, I was smart and invested a lot of that money early on when I was making like the crazy money, the 90s money, we call it. In the 90s, there was just so much money in this. It has definitely decreased, but now you can diversify more. You can, you know, people have, I did 
membership-based websites. I did clip stores from Clips for Sale. Yeah, there's the OnlyFans, which I started when this pandemic started because I kind of moved away from online. I was like, I can't give people so much stuff anymore. If they want to see me, they come to see me. That that helps. The less you take yourself out of the public forum, the more that they want to still see you. So they'll come and find you and see you. Instagram is probably the only thing that I really update. And sometimes I feel like maybe I give too much of that to, to people. Every once in a while, I'll go through and I'll be like, all right, I'm going to not post so much right now. I'm just feeding people too much about my life. And they feel satiated by it. And the second I step away for a day or two, I'll get 10 messages. Are you okay, mistress? Is everything okay? Can I book an appointment with you? Can I come and see you? Can I bring you lunch? You know, like that sort of thing. I'm like, it works. Remove yourself from the front of their screen on a daily basis and they will seek you out. That's what I always tell my friends to do when their boyfriends are ignoring them. Yeah, it's the same thing. When the the SESTA-FOSTA stuff started and people were worried about losing their Instagram accounts and worried about losing Twitter accounts and all these things, I was like, you know, that's not the end of the world because people will always find us. I mean, they used to find me when I was in a magazine in the very back of the magazine store behind the last curtain. You know, they went through the regular porn, then they went through the gay porn, then they went into the very, very back room where the BDSM stuff was at. So if they found me then, they're going to be able to find me again. You know, not everything is going to come offline, but sometimes I feel like we are too available to people. Well, I think that's a really good segue into my next question. How did people find sessions before the internet? That was how they found them in magazines, in the back of um, periodical newspapers ish sort of magazines that were centered around mostly uh there were some that were geared just toward bdsm but some of them were um escort based regular porn influence stories photos you know professional naked girls through the whole thing and then suddenly you see an ad for a dominatrix um and the people who were looking for the dominatrix filtered through all the naked girls to get to the dominatrix because they knew that the naked girl wasn't going to do it for them. So they go find the, the woman in leather with a, a stern look on her face. Um, so Powerful women. We stand. Yeah. Yep. They, they, uh, they go look for us. And that's how they used to find us before. The internet has made it much easier for people to perpetrate our demeanor and saturate the industry but um they don't stay around very long people who i call them tourists people who will try to be a dominatrix for a little while think it's easy money then realize it's really a lot more to it and there's a lot of investment in it and the people who come to see a dominatrix are wanting a very specific psychology and not everybody has that so if they don't get repeat customers eventually like all right this was too hard move on to something else so we get a lot of tourists people think that we're it's an easy job so you studied psychology in college right Mm -hmm. do you think that you're using your degree more than most people yes (laughs) yes Um, (laughs) i was in college with one of my best friends from high school she went on to pursue um, a degree. I left in my third year to move to New York. I was in Birmingham at UAB. Um, she went on to get her degree and become a um, psych- 
psychologist and one time I was home visiting her and she's like, I hate my job. You would have hated this. I hate my job. It's so much all the time. And um, it made me think like, yeah, I'm kind of glad. I, I, I don't think I'd want to sit in an office. It's a special kind of person to help people try to sort through the difficulties in their life. And if you have the difficulties in your own life, then you're distracted by those in order to, like, I just, I don't think I can do it. And I also was studying, my focus was um, child psychology. I wanted to work with children. And when children have to see a psychologist, it's usually because something traumatic has happened in their lives. And I realized that early on when I volunteered at a, at, for a therapist and I had a tear in my eye listening to this little girl, this four-year-old girl talk about her experience. And I was just there to take notes and it was part of extra credit. And she just, she saw me and she's like, you can leave the room now. And I got up and left the room and she reprimanded me after she goes, you cannot show those kind of emotions because then she's going to feel bad because she's made you feel bad. And I was like, how do you not show those emotions? Like, did you listen to her? You know? So I was like, all right, that's not for me. Like I, I wanted to murder somebody. So I just decided, yeah, I, I I'm glad I realized it early on, and that's what prompted me to leave Birmingham and go to New York. Like, I just am not staying in school. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to struggle financially, take loans out, and be doing something that I don't even know if I can do. So everything that I learned, I apply now, and I'm much happier about how I use it. So I think I made the right decision. That's so heartwarming. I love that, yeah. Every story of just how you've gotten involved, it's like everything fell almost perfectly in place. It's like a real Cinderella story. It was a snowball effect. It was like one thing happened for one thing to happen for another thing to happen. And then it just, I kept rolling with the opportunities. And as they kept evolving, I kept evolving. Uh, and it's, yeah, I'm about to have my 27th year. I've lost count. I celebrated my 25th year. I think, yeah, I think this December will be 27 years. Wow, congrats. Thanks. <laughs> do, your, do your slaves ever, like, I don't know, bake a cake, like, happy 25th anniversary or something? Um, not exactly like that, but um, <laughs> they will book appointments with me and, like, celebrate in some way. And uh, my, my, they're very thoughtful. It's another thing, like, submissives are some of the most thoughtful people in the world because just the nature of them wanting to serve and give and just that whole mentality. Like I tapped into some, like a valuable resource when discovering submissive personalities. Very um, loving, giving, selfless kind of human. Oh, it sounds like they touch your heart pretty often. Man, I, I want a submissive. Well, I have my boyfriend, but it's not the same. <laughs> um, I've always, like, I've never dated or been in relationships with submissive people because of the fact that I work in it so much that I wanted, I didn't want to have to, there to be yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, all the time. 
Um, I wanted to be able to someone feel comfortable challenging me or um, balancing me out. Um, but that hasn't really worked out for me either. So I might have to consider like maybe there's a reason why my relationships last three years or less. I could get to a point when I'm like, yeah, we just don't work out. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I'm starting to rethink that now. Like, maybe uh, like I always was like, I'm going to just get too overwhelmed with, you know, being the boss all the time. I need someone else to decide some things every once in a while. Like maybe that's not the direction I need to go in this time. <laughs> So kind of along those lines, um, I saw on your Instagram, you got a puppy recently. Yes. And she's, I wanted to, he's a pleaser. She like definitely falls into that submissive category, but I guess all dogs want to please you and make you happy. Um, yeah, she's smart and she wants to please. And Yeah, I was just, I was just about to ask, which would you prefer training your dog or your slaves? Um, well, it's my livelihood to train slaves. If I could make as much money training dogs, I might, I mean, I, there actually, there's a few dominatrix that segue out of this work and actually are dog trainers now. Really? Yeah. yeah. One of them I'm still really good friends with and she sends me videos of like, you know, training tactics that I can use on my little orchid. But yeah, it's, it's a, a natural progression for us to move in that direction. We're very similar um, but I still enjoy the, the sexuality of what I do, the, the seduction, the sexuality. So I think that I'll stick with it until I get tired. And I always, you can be a dog trainer. At it, it sounds like the people training is going well for you. I've just never really thought about the parallels between like my dog trainer and dominatrix. It's consistency and rewards. Yeah, I guess the difference is, you know, I reward my dog with food and they don't get traumatized as easily, so. No, but a bad a bad owner could traumatize a dog just as easily as a human could traumatize another human, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, but as long as they're like, it's all good and happy and reward-based and everybody's enjoying it, it's positive. But I'll stick with the humans and still get a lot of enjoyment out of that. And I've built a whole um, empire based on that. So I'll continue that for a while. I don't have any more questions. Emily, do you have anything else? I actually have two questions that I just text you asking if you wanted to take one of them. Because oh. I feel like I'm talking a lot. Okay. I so, and they're <laughs> barking in the background. So you can ask it and I'll just mute myself. Okay. That sounds perfect. All right. Hold on. Let me pull them up really quickly. Okay. So what's, what are some of the biggest mistakes you made while you were learning to be a dominatrix? I haven't made too many. I have, I mean, there have been some things I had to figure out, but I wouldn't call them necessarily mistakes. Or maybe like, what's a big mistake somebody could make while, you know, on this journey? Oh, I'm sure there's plenty of those. I mean, just like not knowing how to use the equipment um, you could make mistakes realizing that it's not really for you and giving yourself so much like there's a high suicide rate in sex workers I've known probably 10 maybe more women 
through the course of my career who have committed suicide. Uh, I think people, if you um, don't have the right mindset for it, it can take you into a very dark place, uh, both from the submissive side and the dominant side, I think. They're just, there's a high suicide rate. There was a memorial last year at one of the conventions here, and just walking through it was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, I think maybe just not taking care of yourself, your mental well-being while doing this is probably a mistake that people tend to make. I'm really good at taking care of myself. Like I said, I'm a light switch. I try to leave everything at the door when I go home. I have family. That balances me out a lot. It gives me a greater purpose in life. Um, I'm not so like wrapped up in just this world. That's probably another mistake is when people get into this industry, it's fun. It's a fun industry. It's great parties. They surround themselves with just this. And then so when this takes a, a turn for the worse, or maybe they have a little struggles in it, they don't have anything else to kind of fall back on. So I think whenever you throw yourself into something and you don't have an outlet, um, that can be a danger to yourself, a mistake. You got to keep your other interests too that are not centered around this industry. I like that. Um, yeah, being a dominatrix definitely seems like something that, you know, you could really go completely into and not do anything else, like even just like lifestyle choices. Yeah, it sounds very glamorous being in control all the time. And for, uh, for the most part, it is. Um, but it does have its trappings. You know, the money is a trapping. The lifestyle in itself can be a trap. Having people constantly catering to your every desire, and then the second somebody gives you resistance, you're like, wait, <laughs> you're supposed to do what I say. You know, like you, you get caught up in that as the one who, you, you become the queen of your own world, and maybe not everybody else is on board with that. So, yeah, it's not having a good balance in your life. Just like, I feel like even just joining this podcast, I've learned a lot, and we actually didn't meet our first dominatrix until today, so I guess, like, I also had a false perception before doing this podcast of, wow, like, the ability to just control and beat men for money, that sounds wonderful, but now that I'm kind of learning about it, I'm seeming like, oh, I probably couldn't handle this emotionally if anybody started passing out on me. I'd probably pass out. And now I'm realizing I don't have the lady balls to do it. So like, what would you say to people who, who, you know, kind of also, cause I feel like that's a really common misconception of, Oh, this sounds like the best job ever, which it yeah. still kind of does. You just have to ease into it and, and um, take your time and learn everything. But yeah, there's diving into the adult industry. For one thing, there's all, there's still tons of stigmas that you have to face on a daily basis. If you don't have the ball, the lady balls to deal with stigma, um, you'll, it'll eat you alive because no one likes to think of themselves, think of themselves in a bad light. You know, like I'm a good person. Why are you projecting all this, like all this bad energy onto me? Like I'm not a good person. I were demonized. So if you can't handle that, you definitely like, you can't handle being ridiculed or feeling left out of things you wouldn't be able to handle this for very long because we do still get ridiculed and left out and 
you know, people are fighting for it all the time for us to be seen and heard, but it doesn't, it's not always going to win. So obviously we're huge advocates of sex work, but you've definitely been involved in it for, you know, a bit longer than us. Longer, I mean, how old are you two? <laughs> I'm 22. Um, I'm 22. <laughs> yeah, since before you were even thought of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so we all want to talk about like reducing the stigma. Um, how can people reduce stigma without like I want to reduce stigma, but I'm probably not going to consistently go to a dominatrix, but I want to help. How can people help? It helps for actual people in the adult industry to not feed into the stereotypes. We're not all messes. We're, we're not all on drugs and alcoholics and you know there's a lot of stereotypes that come with it that the outside public tends to project on us and I've seen all of that too so um there needs to be people who take it a little more seriously as a profession and realize that as someone in a profession you have a certain responsibility to present yourself a certain way that'll take some of the stigma off this this Guy did a book. I can't remember what it was called. The book was called Porn Star. He his goal was to destigmatize porn stars. So he went and interviewed a lot of porn stars. Did behind the scenes photos of them in their houses and kind of like really got into their lives. People were devastated when this book came out because he gave a real life view of what their lives were like, and it was exactly what people thought their lives were like a mess with money they couldn't these women were making tons of money and but yet had no money at the end of the day they couldn't invest they were doing drugs they were drinking a lot they were masking all of these things bad abusive relationships like just the stigmas he he was trying to destigmatize it and at the end of the book he basically said i wanted to do something completely different but it wasn't true and this was how i i saw it happening And I think that Savannah, one of the girls who killed herself, was one of the people in the book. She had a lot of mental issues. And, um, yeah, it was kind of sad to see that. But it's true. Like, there are some stereotypes that people fall into and kind of make it harder for the rest of us to thrive. So I think that if we could eliminate and people start taking this line of work more seriously... From a business perspective, a career instead of something that you just kind of breeze in and breeze out and hope to make a lot of money and it'll, it'll be helpful. Our voices will be heard. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I'm guessing like, do you know, like a network of sex workers that support each other, like when they see somebody falling into maybe an abusive relationship or substance abuse? Yeah, there are. We, we were a very tight-knit community. We, like, reach out to each other when we see these things happening. Um, it's hard when people are on drugs. I've had my my share of friends fall into drugs, and when you're on drugs, it's you're not listening to anybody else, and it's really hard to get help for them. You get help for them, and then they turn around and start it again. So it's a tough battle. I'm struggling with it um, even now. Yeah, I have friends who... Especially with what's going on, people, I think, are starting to fall back into these ways because depression and drugs and things like that in my industry and in other industries where I see uh, a lot of that. These these moments are the defining moments of your life. Like, you need to 
not allow those things back into your life because times are a little hard. Now is the time that you push through them so that you come out of it on the other side a better person or you just look through it. But to give into it is kind of sad to watch. And it's easy to do. Kind of a somber note, right? Sorry. <laughs> I, literally, the thing that's going through my mind right now is I was like, so I'm moving cities uh, pretty soon, so I have to find a new therapist. And I want a dominatrix to be my therapist. <laughs> we do that. It's in a very, we don't take insurance. It's in a very unconventional setting, but we are therapists to a lot of our, our clients. Can I just get the therapy? <laughs> we do that too. Consultation. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Mistress yeah. Sinclair, thank you so much for being on our show. We really appreciate getting to hear your story and, and talking to you. You're welcome. We dove in deep. We <laughs> did. Oh yeah. Thank you. I, oh my God. I was so excited for this interview and it was everything I wanted and more. Thank you so much, Mistress. I think. <laughs> Ladies are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're here from our account, you can follow Mistress Sinclair on Instagram. It's at Isabella Sinclair, correct? The Isabella Sinclair, because someone stole the first Instagram, Isabella Sinclair. Really? That's the other thing who we are. People will race in and be like, I'm going to get this and I'm going to sell it to her. She makes a lot of money, so I'm going to sell it to her. I own the trademark now, so I could fight Instagram and get that name myself. Um, I had to do that, buy the trademark for it, um, because of these reasons, because people would do that shit. So yeah, it's the Isabella Sinclair. Well, the Isabella Sinclair is more powerful anyways, I feel like. <laughs> the one and only. So yeah, you can follow her at, at the Isabella Sinclair on Instagram and you can follow us at Candy Girl Podcast or on Twitter at Candy Girl Pod. And if you have any questions for us or for Mistress Sinclair or for anyone else who's been on the show, you can email us at candygirlpodcast at outlook.com. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll hear from you next Friday.